0: Why do distributors no longer do marketing
1: because they don't care about the movies there's they're no passion for the movies it's just about numbers they look at a movie they say can we make money off of it and if they can then they're not emotionally attached you know when a filmmaker makes a movie I mean I, I don't want to be this is a crazy analogy but it's 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 like having a child I mean it's a big deal making a movie is a major major deal in someone's life I mean the amount of time effort money that you put into it the sweat that you put into it I mean it's a big big deal and you are so emotionally attached to it and it's such a major part of who you are in your life because it's such a gigantic commitment and a huge accomplishment Distributors don't share any of that. They don't have any of that passion. They don't understand any of that pain. As a matter of fact, I have lots of distributor friends. Obviously, I come from that world and um, you know, we're constantly talking at dinner. You know, I say, you guys, you don't even understand. It's, it's, what's there to understand, Jeff? You don't understand how emotionally attached people are and how important it is and, and when you just fluff it off and, and you know how hurtful it is. Well, it's business, Jeff. And I say, I know it's business. I know it's business, but I've been on both sides of this business, and I understand what filmmakers go through and, and what they, you know, are dealing with. So I'm not asking you to be, you know, bad business people or anything like that, but they're not emotionally involved, and they're not even financially involved these days anymore. So they have no stake in it. Like when I say financially involved, you know, getting a minimum guarantee, at least gets them connected and gives them a little bit of risk but it's hard to get that now You know, especially a significant one that where makes them sweat a little bit see very rare you get that so when there's no financial attachment or no emotional attachment why should they have to get behind it and put too much effort into it it's basically it's a volume game for them now because a lot of their business is on AVOD platforms, where it's basically throw it all up there and see whatever watch people watch, and just take a piece of it. And if you know if you have a hundred of them going at the same time, then hopefully the volume will be enough that you can make some real money. But individually, each person's not going to make very much. But they don't care because their business is volume, and their business is. I hate to say this because it's going to disturb a lot of filmmakers who are watching this, but I'm going to wager to guess that most distributors don't even watch the movies that they distribute they might watch 10 minutes of it maybe they flip through and watch the first 10 the middle 10 the last 10 just to make sure it's in focus and working can you imagine that somebody selling your movie who hasn't even watched it You know, I mean how disappointing that would be and they're supposed to talk about it and be passionate about it they've never seen it so that's why they don't do marketing because they don't really care. And that's why a filmmaker has to do it because they do care and they're going to do it with more passion now maybe not as much skill because they don't do that for a living and that's why it would be helpful to deal with people who do do it for a living and yeah will any marketer feel as passionate about the film as the filmmaker no of course not nobody's going to feel more passionate about their children than the parents right Um, but there are people who will feel more passionate than the you know like teachers would feel more passionate about Kids, then, you know, then, or coaches or something like that. People are connected the way a filmmaker, you know, like, but a distributor, they just don't care. That's the main reason.
0: You know how they say a good artist should have a manager and an agent, but also be looking to book their own work. Don't rely, just you'll be waiting by the phone or your email. So is it similar that if you get a distribution deal, if you're lucky enough to have gotten that, that then you are finding who your audience is, you're going out there and you're actually dealing with them you're not relying on well my distributor just won't they don't care it's just business to them
1: once in a while you'll get lucky and a distributor will get behind it and really try hard and because they realize that there's potential and that if they put a lot of resources behind it they'll generate more revenue and be more successful with it once in a while but I would not take that for granted so as you say don't rely on it if it happens feel like you're lucky and it you know and you won the lottery Don't rely on it. Figure that even when you get distribution, you're going to have to support the distribution efforts with your marketing and awareness creation as much as you can. And maybe you can't. You know, maybe you can't. And that's why a lot of filmmakers get disappointed with distribution deals because they say, "Hey, I gave it to a distributor, and they did nothing with it. They stuck it on a couple of platforms. I could have done that myself. They basically did nothing. Um, You know, they and they didn't. You know, so." I say to them "Well, what did you do well it's not my job to do it it's the distributors I said well that's the new norm the new narrative that I'm talking about it actually is your job now and I've heard that from a lot
0: of actors filmmakers writers that's why I have a manager but then they don't want to do other things that could actually help propel them you know?
1: in the new narrative that I'm talking about the the manager agent thing and if you want to talk on the talent side is basically the manager needs to navigate the business elements so that the person doesn't have to deal learn to become you know their own lawyer and business person the agent just needs to keep an eye on you know what the opportunities are right but in the distribution world i mean what is a producer writer director Who's making indie film? What's what's the manager gonna do? They're gonna negotiate a distribution contract for them. I mean, there's so many people who can do that, and, and I'm not sure they're gonna do it well, anyways. And, you know, agents, like, first of all, you know, I, I think that most indie film people aren't gonna get that, anyways, for two reasons. One is they can't afford it. Like, an agent manager, they wanna make money, they want retainers you know yeah sure they're going to take a percentage but they at least want a retainer so who can actually afford to have those people on staff you know and working for you and secondly you know agent managers need to also you know make a living so hence they want to deal with potentially bigger stuff and indie films generally aren't big enough the odd one is you know that it will make enough money to pay a 5% commission to an agent or whatever it is but for the most part they aren't that's why it's so hard for indie filmmakers especially writers to get representation because the agents don't want to spend too much time on it because they don't feel there'll be a return on their time
0: can you make a commercially viable movie for 250,000
1: so it's interesting that number gets thrown around a lot these days a quarter of a million Um, I used to throw around the number 750 like that was the number that you needed to spend to make a decent movie. And I always used to say, "Hey, I'm a decent filmmaker, but remember, I didn't go to film school. You know, I went to law school and business school, so I have the business side down pat. Um, I didn't go to film school, so maybe I don't have the artistic side down pat as much, you know. But but when it comes to spending money, I kind of know how that all works. And I used to say, as a filmmaker, I think you got to spend at least seven fifty to make a decent movie. Just because you got to give yourself enough time to do it properly and it assuming you want to pay people, you know, I don't ever I don't have the connections to have people work for free and I don't really want to ask them to work for free. So, I'm not overpaying or you know, I'm not paying nobody's going to get rich, but you know, I'm paying a fair salary, that type of thing. So, just based on my experience, I always felt 750 sort of was the minimum and you know, somewhere between 750 and a million and a half was a decent amount to get a decent movie, like Good quality, good production value—you know, costumes, wardrobe—you know, make the resources you need to deliver a good movie. But a lot of stuff has changed in technology, right? So obviously, cameras are cheaper, and 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 you don't need as much gear, sometimes as much staff, you know, crew. Um, Sometimes you get locations are available. I mean, talent has not gone down in price. If anything, it's gone up. Um, so a lot of filmmakers say to me, yeah, I can make a really good movie for 250 and I say, okay, I'm not going to argue with that um, but don't think just because you put your heart and soul into it and you tried your best that it makes it into a good movie. The ultimate test is let's watch the movie and see if it's good. Don't say, hey, I only had 250 to spend and that's the best you can do for 250 That's not going to fly in the real world. Nobody's going to care. They're going to say, okay, nice try but we don't want to spend our time and money watching your movie um, it's not like oh wow let's watch the best movie that was made for 250 it doesn't work that way so if you can really look at lots of people have done it lots of people have made movies for less than 100 grand we know that there's these stories and myths and legends out there of all these great films that were made for you know very low budgets I just don't I think those are anomalies I think they happen far and few between um, but if you're a great filmmaker and you got a good crew and the chemistry's right and the story's right and the acting's right and everything happens then what the heck I don't you know. as I say to all my clients the customers out there ie the viewers nobody's going to ask you how much you spent on your movie all they're going to ask you they're just going to look at your movie and say is it good or bad they don't care how much you spent and by the way when people talk about how much they spend they lie anyways. Everybody always says they spend 10 times more than they did and you know some of it's real because remember they're not getting paid. So, you know, people say, "Oh, I made a film for $50,000." And then I say, "Great. How many hours did you put?" "Oh, I put uh, 2,000 hours of my time in." Did you include that? No. How much would you make an hour? $100. Oh, so that's $20,000 of time that you didn't include in your, you know, in your scenario. So, your film wasn't $50,000, it was $70,000 because if somebody was going to make the same film, they'd have to make it for 70,000 if I did my math right it wasn't I didn't mean 200,000 I meant 20,000 of their time so people don't factor that in so the numbers are always skewed anyways about how much somebody spent on a movie but at the end of the day it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how much somebody spent the only thing that matters is that the movie's good so I applaud anybody who can make a great movie for a little amount of money and by the way the people who say to me I can make a movie for 250 I say maybe you should be making some of my movies because I'd be making a lot more money if we were delivering my movies for 250 if you could deliver them oh well you should give me a chance Jeff and I said I I don't trust that it can happen and maybe I'm skewed maybe I think you need you know these resources and everything like that so I I do believe that there are people out there who are making really good stuff for 250 and maybe cheaper um, but don't think because you spent 250 that the contest is not who made the best movie for 250 the contest is did you make a great movie and it doesn't matter what you made it for because if you didn't make a great movie I don't care if you spent two two and a half million if you didn't make a great movie you're not in the game your movie's not selling the movie's got to be good and I know we didn't talk about that before when I talk about distribution but remember I said I'm going to check that box that you made a great movie you got to make a good movie it's fair is fair right if you want somebody to pay and spend their time watching your movie and pay to watch it give them some value give them some entertainment value give them a good movie
0: does having a higher budget let's say over 500,000 guarantee that your movie is probably going to be of a higher caliber story-wise
1: if you're a good producer slash director like a good producer director team who knows how to deploy their resources you know very very effectively then I would say the more you have to spend the better quality your movie is likely going to be as long as you're not wasting it like if you're putting it on screen you know like if you let's say I'll give you an example okay let's say you have a five hundred thousand dollar movie right and then you get an extra fifty thousand dollars if you go and hire like a fancy caterer who's going to do the meals yeah will your crew and cast feel a little bit better sure they will but will it make your movie better probably not but if you spend that fifty thousand dollars Potentially on one scene where it's a big production, you know a bigger location with more extras or something like that Then it'll make your movie better. So that's what I mean by deploying the resources effectively so if you're You always have to be careful with your resources no matter what you have so people think at 250 I have to be more careful than at 500. No, you have to be careful at both levels and at 750 just deploy them as best you can so that you put most of it on screen So that your movie looks better so obviously the more you have to spend if you're deploying it wisely you have a better chance at making a higher quality looking movie you know potentially more production value now obviously it's going to always end up there's there's elements that doesn't matter how much you spend acting all right now you could say the more I spend on actors the better actors I'm going to get I don't personally believe that I believe that there's good actors at every price range and hopefully get good performances out of them all right so you could say you know I'll get a better cinematographer if I spend more money you'll definitely get a more experienced cinematographer because you know they have that's why they're charging more because they've done more and you know chances are it's more predictable but it doesn't mean a brand new cinematographer can't you know shoot a great movie I mean there's young upcoming people who are really talented who just need a break so hopefully you get one of those you know and directors and all this kind of stuff Um, hopefully it all gels and and so I that's where you the magic can happen at low budgets where everything gels and it you just get great performances great directing sometimes you know, experience does matter and you don't make the rookie errors because you've done it before and that's why spending more money on people who know what they're doing is a little bit more predictable Um, but it doesn't mean that people who haven't done it before can't do it well but you know, to, to get back to your question, yeah, if you had an extra 250, and you put most of it on screen, you, your movie's going to look better. It's just going to look bigger, and and you know, hopefully, like when I say on screen, you're, you're using more extras, your costumes are better, your production value is better. By the way, if if the story's bad, the acting's bad, you could spend five million and still come up with a bad movie. I mean, you know, a bad movie's going to be a bad movie um so it does start with a decent story a decent vision from the director and good performances and then the rest is just capturing it properly you know focus sound the shots you choose that kind of stuff
0: earlier you said the audience doesn't care what you paid for your movie i know film festival audiences might care though because they just want to know what was your budget range and how can I emulate what you did kind of
1: everybody lies I go to tons of festivals I sit in these screenings and they say well how much was your budget oh I'm going to tell you the truth and then they they usually triple it or quadruple it nobody wants to say they made a ten thousand dollar movie because it feels too small right Um, so how do you know what's real unless you've done the accounting for it Um, I've been there done that I know what things cost I know you know now when a filmmaker says to me hey I didn't pay anybody then I say great Um, you know you're lucky that you got people to work for free I don't do the movies that way I believe they should get paid but I'm not saying it's wrong you know sometimes people say oh I spent five years making my movie because I just shot on weekends or this or that type of thing And I say okay fine but you know I will game it's not my business model I'd rather shoot in 20 days consecutively get it done release it do the next thing so everybody's got a sort of a different business model and a different vision of what that could be but when I say people don't care about how much they spend, people like to discuss it they like to throw numbers around they like to because you know they want a point of reference for themselves to see you know can I make a movie how much does it really cost so there are people who are curious especially at festivals you know who want to sort of know because maybe they're thinking of making their own movies so they're doing that as a point of reference um, but if you've watched a movie And you've left the theater you said wow that's a great movie and then somebody said to you oh that costs fifty thousand or five million you'd be way more impressed if it was fifty thousand wouldn't you be way more because all of a sudden this great movie this epic movie was made for fifty thousand dollars the surprise would be on the low end as opposed to the high end so I always joke and I say if I were to ever win an academy award in my speech I'm going to say what the actual budget was because it's going to be so much lower than what anybody expected it to be (laughs) you know because everybody expects if it's a good movie that it has to cost all so much money and by the way here's the other problem with the narrative that that indie film everybody throws around Hollywood style numbers oh I'm making I you know I told you before I get phone calls I'm making a five million dollar feature and uh, and it's all ready but I just need you know finance and distribution I say whoa, whoa, whoa time out you're you're making a five million dollar feature but it's not financing and, it, and you don't have distribution so how are you making the five million dollar feature again like in your mind you're making a five million dollar feature but in reality what you're probably going to spend is fifty thousand dollars I mean that's what's really going to happen if you want this feature made unless you are connected to some really high net worth individuals who are prepared to make big donations to you. Um, so, everybody still throws around the big numbers, especially in the Hollywood circles, and everybody wants to pretend Hollywood and at festivals, you know, it's t- Hollywood talk, right? Which is, you know, oh, 2.5, I made my movie for, you know, 3.2, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, whatever. Doesn't look like you did. So, you know, it's different strokes for different folks.
0: What does it cost to get bankable stars in your movie?
1: So bankable stars you mean a-list talent basically people who can who people say who's in it and when you say the name they say oh I know that person that's a bankable star all right so that's what I call bankable because there are sort of secondary bankable where it's oh I've heard of that person as opposed to oh you know when someone goes to see a movie in the theater the first question they ask is who's in it and you know that's why a-list actors make so much money because people say oh if they're in it I'll go see the movie right they don't say what's the movie about they generally say who's in it even for animated films they say that's the crazy part like I mean we're talking voice of talent you know (laughs) Um, so what does it cost Um, it's flexible but a-list talent costs more than it than indie film producers can afford and the other thing is that chances are a-list talent doesn't want to do indie films unless it's their story or they're personally connected and they want to direct And the reason is is because an a-list actor does not want to be associated with a c-list film like the production value is too low and it's going to taint their reputation Um, I say unless it's their story and they're or they're very connected to the filmmaker whatever and they want to help share that vision so I'm going to say that you know a-list talent you know is in the seven figure range like you know the million dollar plus range Um, b B, or say a minus list or b plus you know is going to be high six figures um, and you know when you're making a movie for a half a million dollars or even a million dollars and you want an a-list actor then your budget just doubled you're going to have a two million dollar movie now a lot of people will say I mean all the distributors who are watching this will say it's worth it because that's what's going to sell the movie and they're right it is worth it if you know for sure you got a sale on the movie see if you go that route and you don't get your sale you've just doubled your budget you've taken a huge risk and maybe it's not going to work but some people say it's a better risk to put an A-list actor in and spend that money it's, it's less of a risk than it is to not have that a lot of international distributors will say to you don't even bother making a movie unless you have recognizable bankable talent um, which I don't n- totally disagree with um, but you know the genre I work in, family. I don't really use any recognizable talent um, because I think it's more about the story than it is about the actor. Now, it recognizable talent wouldn't hurt, but I don't think the numbers would justify in terms of the selling side the cost of the actor.
0: Now, there's some people that use previous A-list actors who maybe now have become, you know, I don't know what their rating would be. But then there's a draw in that too that someone that. Had been out of the limelight for a while, hadn't been working for whatever the reason is, and now has made a comeback. And they may be totally different persona wise, appearance wise, than they once were. And then that's probably a draw as well. Very,
1: very big draw. That's very, very common. You know, I call them A minus or B plus list actors, people who are not. You know in the limelight you know they're not the top 50 or whatever in Hollywood but they're still they've done they've been there done that and are very recognizable very good for international sales because people still recognize their face or their name so that's much more common and and it is bankable also but it's not cheap you know a b-list actor could be $50,000 a day not uncommon to see that at all and they're worth it you know first of all they're good actors right so you pretty well can depend on them giving a good performance usually um, and yeah they have that that saleability or what you call the bankability, ability um, and you don't know for sure how bankable it is um, but you're pretty certain it's better to have them not to, than not to have them but it's just it's just a finance equation right so like if you were to say to me why don't you put you know like Two B-list actors into lead roles in your movie, and I'm going to say because it'll double the, you know, be half a million dollars in in that fee, and I don't think I'm going to. I think I'll only increase my sales by say 350,000. So I'm doing some calculations beforehand and saying it's not feasible for me to do that. But if I did it the other way and said, you know, by putting a $500,000 actor in, I could get you know a million dollars of extra sales. Of course, I would do it.
0: What's the likelihood of someone who just has an idea, so no screenplay, no trailer, no artwork, no attachments, getting
1: a pitch inside Netflix? Minus one to zero, <laughs> unless unless they have an agent who is really likes them a lot and wants to get them in there. First of all, Netflix doesn't take unsolicited pitches. None of the streamers take unsolicited, none of the studios or the streaming companies take unsolicited pitches. Meaning you can't phone them up. They don't have like a place a website or an entry point where you can phone them up and say I have a great idea I'd like to pitch you it doesn't exist I mean they publish that that's right on their website okay Um, so the only way you can get in is with either a agent slash manager a lawyer so whoever somebody who's connected internally in there or a distributor who's done business with them all right that's the only way that you can even attempt to get a pitch Um, so so right away you can't get in directly um, so maybe you can get in that way but highly 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 unlikely also because you haven't done anything before I mean they have a lineup in, I mean let's talk Netflix Netflix has a lineup at their store so long they have every single major filmmaker in the world who has done anything wants to do it for Netflix right because I mean they got like a gigantic audience right. So think of all the people ahead of you in line and what their credentials are relative to what your credentials are so I would say if you want to attempt it then you try to get in line for an agent who you're not going to get the time of day from either
0: so then keep working at your craft sounds like don't 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 just
1: expect to jump the line here's the way to yeah you're not going to jump the line Mm -hmm. there's no way I can't even think of getting lucky to jump the line Um, the the only way that you can sort of get ahead a little bit is is do some make something that is notable that gets you that that their usher says hey who did that and takes you closer to the you know to use a metaphor type of thing right and that would be Here's a crazy, crazy um, counterintuitive thing about Netflix that most people don't know, which makes no sense, but it's true. And it's not just Netflix, by the way, it's pretty well all the streaming companies, okay? It's pretty well all the big releasing companies. The more popular you have, the more success you've done in when you've released your movie, the more attractive you are to Netflix. So get this you want to make a mo- you want it you want to get their attention make a movie put it onto YouTube for free create as much awareness as possible spend you know effort tons of effort creating awareness get 2 million views then all of a sudden you're going to get onto their radar screen and everybody says well, wait, wait a second I just gave my movie away to 2 million people like why would anybody want it now after that? and they would say because they have 160 million people and 2 million is a test market for them and they just need to see that hey people 2 million people like your movie then all of a sudden now they're going to be interested that's the best way to get their attention now how do you get that i mean you know getting you, you go viral you have a great movie you create awareness that's what this is all about but that's how you get the attention of a major streamer now it's as counterintuitive as that sounds it's not really when you think about the theatrical business Right? The movies that Netflix wants the most and all the major streaming companies are the big movies. And, you know, pre COVID, the big movies opened theatrically to, you know, half a billion dollars worth of business. Like, you know, 500,000 or 550 million people seeing these, I don't know, whatever the numbers are. I didn't do the math properly, but 25 million people have already seen the movie. Why would anybody want that? Everybody's already seen it. But yet those are the ones that are most coveted and have the get the biggest payoffs at the streaming companies why because the streaming companies believe that people want to see them again these are big movies and they'll want to be seen twice you know and then you know or three or four times and that's why they're so valuable even though they've already been seen you don't use it's like love you don't use it up there's endless amounts so you know you don't yeah you use up one view with a viewer but they have 10 more left or five more whatever the case may be so that's why I'm saying if you can release a movie an independent movie and get tons and tons of awareness um, then you'll you'll get on the radar screen a lot better you'll get to the front of the line a lot quicker and people will say okay I like this what else you got
0: so on one hand plan for success submit to some of these higher tier festivals don't don't just assume don't rest on that you'll get in but at the same time don't sabotage yourself where you think that you just have this amazing idea and somehow you can get into Netflix to pitch it with no other vetting with yeah no other I, I
1: don't believe in miracles but if you believe in miracle like that would be in the miracle category like I have a great idea I've never done anything before and I think that I'm going to get in the door of Netflix and they're going to fall in love with it so to me that that's a miracle that's like so far beyond reality um, maybe it's happened Uh, you know I doubt it maybe it could happen once and maybe everybody the myths and legends will be created around it but uh, I put that in the category of a miracle
0: how about we move the needle a little bit of miracles and talk about a finished screenplay first finished screenplay am I getting into
1: Netflix can you're still in them? the you're still in the category of miracles <laughs> you just maybe a little further down on the okay yeah no you're if you're not a proven writer first of all they're not reading it second they're not accepting it they're not reading it unless it goes in through a literary agent who they do business with which you can potentially do that but how do you get that literary agent you got to get them so that's almost as hard as getting into Netflix itself so you're still it's it's tough and I know it's not like this is one of those things where you know you say to speak the truth and the truth kind of hurts a little bit um, yeah it's a reality so you've got this screenplay you put your heart and soul into it it's probably really good um, and you can't get anybody to read it so that's why sometimes you go down both paths you spend a lot of time getting an agent or trying to get an agent who hopefully can get in the door and pitch it to somebody but you don't put all your eggs in that basket at the same time you start to think about okay how do I do this myself and, and it, yeah. maybe one happens before the other or you, know, you never know
0: and we go back to the Einstein quote yeah so so you're not you're not banging your head against a wall and you're trying a different route which is more of a proven route instead of my thing is different because we all think our story is special yeah and it's nothing against anybody's story or, or their writing or their skill but
1: you kind of have to go through certain channels it it can't just be yeah like Hollywood and when I say Hollywood I'm including you know like not just the studios I'm including you know the big streamers now and you know the basically the people who control most of the eyeballs they've done a really good job of locking out all the indies that's they don't do it on purpose but the reason they do it is because they deal in such high caliber product I mean it's a business decision right like they're dealing in very very high-end production quality content and actors and that type of thing and they just don't need to waste any time on indie film production it's just it's it's a nuisance it's aggravating like that's it, it and again they have so many so much time in a day why would they spend it on that when they have the resources to do so much more bigger caliber stuff which is what they're doing like look at this what the streamers offer now. I mean, the value that they give to to consumers—ten dollars a month for like multi-million-dollar productions with A-list actors and and fantastic storylines and writing and everything like that—how do you beat that? Like, you're a, you know an indie film producer. Like, how do you even compete with that? So. Looking at it from that perspective, like fair is fair, right? They got a business to run, they got viewers to satisfy, so and they have all the resources to do it, and and revenue coming in from subscribers. So why do they need to focus on that? Why does any exec at a streaming company need to read an indie script when they got fifty other scripts sitting beside them, written by in-house writers who are you know high caliber, successful you know people who are on staff? They don't. That's that's the reality. Because here's the thing about indie filmmaking that I'm going to give it credit for: it's generally a lot more creative than than, all, than big budget film. The, the big budget stuff is very well done, and I love it. Um, but it's predictable, it's formulaic, it's you know a lot of sequels, a lot of stuff like that. Because they you know they know what the audience wants, and they just keep giving them the same thing over and over. So you know the innovative stuff is going to come from the indie film world, and the big studios know that. It's just very aggravating to access it all so once in a while there's a breakthrough and you know and they have lots of innovation internally as well they they encourage innovation you know from their internal writers but um, you know the cutting-edge stuff is coming from the indie film world so that's where the indie film world has a little bit of not an advantage but you know you know it's a unique approach Um, but it's just a matter of organizing it to get it through so that it can get through the system
0: can we go back in time to that first Netflix meeting you had what year was this
1: 2014 or 15 yeah 14 or 15 the first one was 14 because I hadn't made the movie yet I made the movie in 15 the first one so I pitched them before I made the movie
0: how did you get that meeting
1: Netflix was a different company back then they actually you know what I actually phoned them up and I, I emailed I got the name you could get they published email addresses like the company wasn't gigantic um, it was big obviously it was still very big but it wasn't what it is today and you could actually get the names of buyers and you could email them and they would actually return an email so that's what I did I emailed well I had to email probably 15 or 20 times um, made left a couple of voice messages because you could also get that and then finally I got a return phone call and You know I had done other movies before so it wasn't my first had it been my first I probably wouldn't have gotten them the meeting Um, that that was my fourth movie um, the one that I pitched them on so I'd already made three before so I kind of knew what I was doing I said you know I here's what I've made here I'm an experienced filmmaker blah 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 I've got this movie you got the olympus coming up can I pitch you on it so they heard the pitch but then they said um, we can't take a chance on you until we see the movie so make the movie and then come back but they didn't guarantee anything they just said make the movie and show it to us when it's done so the movie finished yeah
0: how soon before you're picking up the phone or emailing after that
1: <laughs> the movie wrapped at you know 505 on a Thursday and at 506 I was picking up the phone <laughs> <laughs>
0: literally okay
1: <laughs> no no I mean I was I was just saying okay I'm finished shooting uh, you know I didn't show it to them obviously until after it's finished edited and everything like that but no no I was anxious but again back then I was depending on it a little bit more and I was much more hopeful than I am today in terms of my realism level Um, so because I was a little more naive the truth the truth is I just wasn't as beaten up as I am now so um, I really really was hoping that they would take it Um, but by the way the movie before that I made it for Disney. And I had I had got into Disney and I it was called king of the camp it was a kids movie a camp musical just like camp rock and it was really it was a great movie I loved making it and it was so Disney and I met with the Disney channel twice and we talked about it and I came really really close so I knew I had the flavor I had the taste of what it was to be and ultimately they said no um, and, and it broke my heart but at least I got there at least I had the pitch and you know, I sat in the Disney office and, and and they watched the trailer and I saw you know, I got to the and they saw the movie and ultimately and you know, it was it was a fair no I think it was a terrible no to get but as they say no is the second best answer um, but so so I'd been there done that so with Netflix it was like okay I'm not going to set myself up for disappointment but I really 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 want this and and I got lucky
0: and and it sounds like too there were ways to get in touch with people that I mean you said you were incredibly naive but also there were there was more access
1: points way more access points so there's no more sense. access like back then it wasn't like they would not look at unsolicited material they actually looked at unsolicited material now it's done it's finished they get it's they're too big they have sure. too many yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's so that what happened back then does not happen anymore for obvious reasons and and by the way they they weren't doing any original programming back then I mean they just probably started I forget what their first series was that they made internally but it was all, all all acquisitions so they needed product so there was a lot look at the year that I sold them that movie I can't remember they statistically they told me I can't remember the number exactly but they it was something like they bought 900 independent films that year and the year I sold them the last movie they bought 300 oh wow so because they're making stuff internally right so they don't need as much external product as they do now they still need some but generally it's bigger stuff so it's gotten harder and by the way it's funny so I've got three movies on Netflix and I sold them three I think I have less of a chance now even having done business with them three times of actually selling them something more than I had back then just because they're so big and they have so much internal production that it's gotten even more difficult
0: since you'd already worked in distribution didn't you have a number of contacts you could count on to try to get you in the door even after let's say some of the window closed of their email addresses being online for you to access them
1: yeah absolutely no a lot of distribution is networking and people who worked at one company often end up in another company or switch around and you know you keep hopefully you have your friendships with them and your business relationships and and they I do get a lot of pitch meetings that way because I know people I mean that's a big component of distribution as it is in any business right is networking so um, yeah so I'm not as active in distribution anymore so I don't have as many contacts as all newer people and younger people but the people who I have known for many years who are still active I still get meetings
0: how does one become active in distribution let's suppose someone's starting from the the ground level and they want to be able to build that rapport with people what are some good ways they can do it themselves?
1: So it's funny you ask that because I I do teach at San Diego State University. I teach filmmaking, and I said to a lot of my students, you know, that you might want to consider going into distribution to start your career, not production. And know that, you know, in five or ten years after you do distribution, you'll end up hopefully in production and just, you know, make sure you guide yourself in that direction. Um, that's how you do it. You got to work in it. Like you can't expect to be a working film producer and understand the distribution circles because you're not in them. You got to work in a distribution company, go to the markets, meet your competitors, meet other people, meet buyers. The distribution companies are constantly meeting with buyers. They're drink, having drinks and dinner and all this kind of stuff and meetings and you get to know these people and you, know, and you develop relationships over time but you have to work in distribution to develop those relationships.
0: Or go to film markets so buy a pass
1: no 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 no. you can go to film markets and kind of be on the periphery but you're not going to get in the inner circles
0: Uh, I see yeah no
1: if you really want to get those relationships you got it like listen a lot of people go to film markets and festivals and sit in panels and see the people and once in a while somebody's nice enough to answer some questions or meet afterwards or whatever but it's not the same. You're not developing that kind of relationship because you're not doing business together. You're just kind of an irritant that you're a filmmaker who wants their attention. That's that's the truth, you know. Um, so they'll, if they're polite, they'll give you the time of day. Most of them aren't polite, so they don't bother because they, don't, you know, it's like being a celebrity. Everybody wants your attention, and you just don't have time to give it to everybody. And everybody's going to pitch on the same thing, and you just get tired of it after a while. Like if you're a Netflix buyer at a, at a market you're a celebrity like you <laughs> almost need security to walk through the marketplace because everybody is gonna like just just divulge you know just jump all over you they just right. want your attention for a second
0: right just to clarify the first time you pitched Netflix were you pitching them an idea or an actual film
1: a good great question so it The film wasn't made so I guess it's an idea but the film there was a script there was um, the production was ready to go all the actors were in place I knew where I was shooting it was just like pre-production I pitched them at that phase so the movie I'd already have financed the movie by the way I didn't need them to finance the movie the movie was already financed ready to go ready to be shot but I felt like you know had I if I were to do it again I would pitch them even earlier this time but but I pitched them at that point and um, by the way I didn't just pitch Netflix I pitched everybody this wasn't exclusive Netflix (laughs) I mean Netflix was one of the companies I pitched I pitched every studio I mean Disney was where I was hoping to put that movie full out I mean Disney was the target for it it was you know girl-centric it was female empowerment 12 year olds I mean it's the Disney audience frankly I was shocked that Disney didn't buy it Disney bought it for the Disney Channel for the rest of the world but not the United States I was shocked. I expected the sale to come from them. So I'm not disappointed that it came from Netflix cuz were a great customer and ultimately worked out fantastic. They had a huge huge audience, but it was the Disney audience that I was like when I pitched my investors and they said where are you like what's your niche audience? Who's your niche target? I said it's Disney. I mean the, the, we're setting up the movie. It's a Disney-esque style movie. It attacks their audience. This is who we're going for. So, and I had Several meetings with them because I knew the people there, um, and they just said no. And then, luckily, Netflix said yes. But you know, I also pitched pretty well every studio. I mean, I had I knew a lot of people like Sony, Warner, um, Fox. I knew people at all these places through my distribution days, so I was able to get meetings. Um, so that's how it happened. Um, but it happened just before I made the movie, so there was lots to pitch on, and I had made a promo reel. I, I obviously I couldn't shoot make a trailer because I hadn't shot anything yet but I cut a promo reel almost like a little sort of three-minute documentary about who I'm making the movie about where I'm shooting it little narration that type of thing just to make it a little bit more visually appealing and it was a good promo reel
0: did they say why you wouldn't they didn't want to take on U.S. territory
1: Netflix I mean uh, Disney Mm -hmm. I don't they didn't like the movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they don't tell you why they don't tell you why okay I wasn't sure. t- and even if they do tell you why it's just make you feel good you know it's well,
0: maybe what are they going to say to
1: me it's not a good movie or it doesn't you know what you know what they actually they did say you know what they said they said it doesn't um, suit our audience and I said okay this is confusing to me number one is Disney Channel rest of world took the movie and it suits their audience but Disney Channel USA said it doesn't suit our audience and then I said that to them and they said it's a different audience and I said you're kidding me but who am I going to say what am I going to argue I mean you know I just take everything to mean we don't like it you know thanks a lot nice try no matter what they say I just that's what I hear they could say anything and I hear sorry nice try come back tomorrow
0: yeah I just wasn't sure how much I told you because that's very fascinating that they, the rest of the world liked it, but the U.S. But I don't believe will, it. You don't believe. it. I don't okay? believe.
1: I know. First of all, I know darn well that that movie plays to their audience. They just didn't have room for it, or whatever. That's what they told me. It was, you know, whatever just, they needed to tell me to be polite and, you know, and get me out the door. Sure. Th- that movie plays to their audience. We all know it. They know it. I know it. You know, it's the world is not different that way. Twelve-year-old girls are twelve-year-old girls everywhere.
0: How do you articulate distribution and sales forecasts to investors?
1: Well articulate them I show them charts and basically I show them what I believe the revenue generation is going to look like over what period of time which is the cash flow analysis and then I put it into a nice concise chart so that they can see it in sort of a one page. That's how I articulate it. Now how do I create it? Um, I do my own sales forecast cuz I have enough distribution experience to sort of know what to expect, what the levels are, what people are paying. It changes all the time obviously cuz as, as the market develops and as new customers come in or different technology or whatever, so you have to co- constantly keep revisiting that. But you generally do a revenue forecast based on either comparable movies that have gone in the past, not too far in the past that you can compare to based on your own experience based on what you believe you're going to get from a certain marketplace and you do them at I do them at five different levels like low semi-low medium medium high high so I do five levels some people do 10 levels some people do three levels you know but you can't do I mean you could do one level but you know it's so I, I show what sort of the average that we can expect is what you know the home run is what the disaster is and um, but a lot of people pay for that. So there's companies that that you can buy revenue forecasts from that do it for you know, as a service, and you pay a lot of money, actually. Um, I've seen lots of those forecasts. Um, I don't think they're so credible, but you need something. You got to show something to investors to say that you've done your homework, and this is what a credible company that has compared it to, sort of like movies has shown. The reason I don't think they're so credible is for several reasons. One is they're using movies that have played like 10 years ago. They can't, they're talking home video numbers. Home video doesn't even exist anymore, you know, so they're comparing completely different technologies and release patterns. Two is they're usually using movies that are, are bigger budgets than what an indie film would be. So, you know, like they're comparing my movie to Home Alone hello i mean they're not even in the same league they're different businesses you know so but you know it's family audience and this and that type of thing so, so i just i'm so so financially um responsible like not responsible i'm responsible but but i'm 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 so critical financially i i got to make sure that it makes sense and sometimes the the comps as they call them the comparables are not as credible as you know when you talk to say a sales rep who is in the market right now who deals with today's audience and today's platforms and you sit them down and say what do you think and it doesn't matter what 10 movies did 10 years ago what matters is what they think because they're out there interacting with customers all the time and selling movies to them. Now I also have relationships with some agents and distributors around the world so I'm able to call them up and say okay what do you think and nobody gives definitive answers they give well it could be this it could be that it could be at least you get a ballpark and it is a ballpark but you say to your your investors you know here's the ballpark here's the range you know it, it could be a big range you know and here's what you think the target's going to be and it's like no different than any other business You know, opening a restaurant, what do you think your customer base is going to be? And how many meals are you going to sell? You know, building a condominium complex, what's the revenue going to be? It's just like that. Maybe a little less predictable than that because it's a movie.
0: Do you talk to your students at UCSD about that? I mean, do they want to know how can I create this, even if it's just for play and Excel?
1: Yeah, they do. But it's so, I'd need a whole course on that, actually. Um, It's so extensive. First of all, you have to understand finances a little bit too. and and I do get into I said I mentioned cash flow. You see, so there's how much revenue you're going to generate, but what the time frame it's going to take to generate it. And that speaks to sort of return on investment or internal rate of return. So for instance, if you invested, say a thousand dollars in today and next year I gave you back two thousand dollars, you would have gotten you know one hundred percent return on your you know, or two hundred percent ROI like double your money, right? But over a year. But if if I returned it to you 2 years later, it would have been over 2 years. So it's a, it's a sort of a different financial analysis for an investor because they're looking at their annual rate of return. So the longer it takes to return the money, the lower their return on investment has been. Or their internal rate of return as we call it this is beyond what film students want to learn I mean film students don't sign off to learn this is accounting stuff I mean this is stuff you learn in business school um, you know this finance right so I don't get I talk about it but I don't get into too much depth but ironically we just finished that unit on distribution and part of the assignment they have to do an assignment part of the assignment is doing a very very high level cursory Um, revenue forecast and everybody said how would we know how to do that and I said just guess and they said what's the point I said you'll understand the point in five years from now just guess okay and the point of that exercise if my students watch this video is that they have to go through the motions to look at the different sort of revenue streams vod television international so so now they're considering what revenue streams there are and they're just putting numbers in It doesn't matter what the numbers are, it's the format of what they have to think about. The numbers don't matter today because they're going to change tomorrow and in ten years or five years when they go to do their films, there'll be a whole different marketplace with maybe some different categories. It's just the concept of going through the motions to understand how to set it up. That's what matters.
0: And once they turned in those assignments and you talked about it as a group, I'm assuming maybe you did, maybe you didn't, what was their impression?
1: of the revenue forecast
0: right so they had to create it and even though they're just plugging in these numbers and they're just yeah. maybe guessing
1: the revenue forecast is a tiny tiny component the major component of the assignment was marketing was how to create awareness it was well it, it was basically deciding who your audience so each everybody picked a film to use some people pick some of my films. some people you, you, they got to they had to choose a feature film this is what they do then they have to tell me who their audience is and why. Then they have to tell me how they're going to create awareness with that audience So, which is a whole marketing campaign like what they're going to do with social media, they're going to do paid advertising, how much they want to spend and why they can justify that spend. Then they're going to tell me what platforms, how they're going to make it accessible to the audience. Are they going to do a theatrical release? Are they going to do you know, video on demand? Are they going to try to do subscription? If so, what do they expect as their return? So they have to do all the research on all the platforms and what to expect will they do television afterwards will they do day and date releases this kind of stuff that's the core of it now how much they're going to make is literally a separate course they I do that I do two things sort of as add-ons which are worth fewer points everything is point-based sort of how much what the revenue would be and and the other thing is do a distribution agreement so I give them a template for a full distribution agreement so they can read it and see it and then I give them a distribution memo and again they say well how would we know this and I say you won't just make it up because I don't care what they say as the like the term of the deal I care that they know here's the the items that go into a distribution agreement you have to know the, the territory the term the language you know is it exclusive you know what the payout's going to be what it I just care that they look at the categories it doesn't matter what the numbers are it's funny to read the numbers because they're all over the place but it doesn't matter it's the thought process that goes into understanding what goes into one of these documents
0: have you ever pitched a completed film to netflix
1: oh yeah yeah (laughs) definitely Um, well the first one was completed I mean I pitched it before but then I had to pitch it after to get it sold the second one was a completed film kiss and cry that that was pitched after the fact Um, I pitched do you want me to go through them all um, you've already asked it so yeah I pitched another one that they said no to which I think is my best film ever but uh, they didn't think so and they said no and
0: And they didn't tell you why
1: didn't no?
0: wasn't a fit for the audience
1: even if they did honestly I, I honestly don't even hear why like because I feel like it's just being polite whatever it is like if you say it's not a fit for your audience then their audience is so big everything's a fit for their audience they, they they own the entire world audience so I mean if they say it's not an entertaining movie then truthfully I guess my ego is too big to believe that because I've done so many screenings with it I know it's entertaining to audiences I mean I've been in so many festivals with the movie and I've watched real audiences not friendly audiences people who know me like you know complete strangers watch and critique the movie so I know it's an entertaining movie so when somebody says it's not an entertaining movie then I say I respectfully disagree but you get to say it because I because you own the audience and I don't but that's okay they, that's their prerogative it's their business
0: when we played that one little game before which I really liked where you said what's your movie and now I need you to fill 100 seats from people that are not friends and families co-workers whatever do you ever run that by your students? And do, they, and do they yeah yeah well, that's co- oh, right out,
1: that's right out of my class oh okay right, okay And that's like lesson two in my class <laughs> oh
0: I love it I like that game I actually should become a well, board game well
1: no it's because it really gets you to think critically and, and and it makes the stakes a little higher to really really dig in and say okay who would I put into those seats
0: and what and what do they say like what are some of the ideas that these students have come
1: well with? it depends on the movie you know like uh, you know I don't want to get into too many details because you know it's a I don't want to it's not fair to my students whatever sure, like sure. like one of the groups did pulp fiction okay you know so um, they went into a lot of detail of who that movie goer would be now there's probably tons of research on the internet that they probably could have borrowed from i don't know but they thought about you know what age group what demographic you know where what that type of movie would attract that type of thing so you know and they gave me reasons of why they thought that was the people and it doesn't matter again whether it's right or wrong because there aren't no or there aren't right and wrong answers um, it's about the reasons why you do the critical thinking you do so they say you know they could say that's for 12 year old girls and as long as they tell me why they think that and it's rational then they'll get a good mark now I totally disagree that movie is obviously not for 12 year old girls because there's so much violence and swearing and all that kind of stuff but they wouldn't say that obviously. But they might say you know males uh, 50 to 70 and I might say well you know it's probably males you know 30 to 50 but you know tell me why you think 50 to 70 and they might say because we think that those males are more mature and have more time and would like the violence better or something like that as long as the reasoning is good it's about the critical thinking because it's constantly changing as I said right so I want to create critical thinkers who who can be creative and just be rational now they'll work in teams ultimately when they're in the working world and and it's good to have different input and and different ideas you know and and as long as you're not crazy and delusional you know and coming as long as you it's about thinking about it that's what that's what learning is about is about thinking critically about something and and trying to understand it best you can it's not about right and wrong necessarily in this this isn't math there's not a right answer and a wrong answer this is about how you come to it
0: was there a waiting period after you pitched Netflix the first time
1: yeah um, maybe until until I got an answer I had six weeks or so something like that they had to circulate the movie internally a bit and think about it a bit I can't remember exactly but it wasn't it wasn't a long like it wasn't more than that maybe maybe four weeks something like that it was relatively soon you know you're sitting on pins and needles the whole time you're so anxious but um, you know they do fairs for you know they have a million things to look at and they you know they have to get opinions of few people
0: when Netflix said yes to you what did that yes mean
1: it meant that I just became a real filmmaker <laughs> no, it meant like it's surreal at first to be honest with you it's like holy smokes but first of all you got to understand I am so skeptical about everything because I've been in business by myself for so long that I've seen so many deals fall apart so the truth is and I hate to say it the truth is and I do this with everything so people you if anybody who's ever worked for me knows what I'm about to say it's like the deal's not a deal until the money is the check has been cashed and cleared in the bank so even though you have a deal in writing even though it's all signed sealed delivered you've delivered the movie when the money comes and it clears then it's a deal and everybody says like why can't you just celebrate they said yes you have a contract here it is they're taking delivery I said yeah but I've seen lots of deals there where it falls apart at the end the very end even though it's and what are you going to do you're going to sue Netflix your little like lowly filmmaker and you're going to take them you know, and you'll probably settle or something like that if the deal were to fall through but I kind of wait until the very end so as much as I was thrilled and happy it wasn't done until it was paid for
0: do you think that's a good motto to go by do you think too many people are trusting and and get their hopes up and so that's when you said you'd been through so much and so much rejection yeah it seasoned you in a way that you're you're more apt to close any gaps that
1: yeah it's not a good way to be I mean it's good to be able to really celebrate and everything like that but but the word you use is right it's seasoned that comes with experience I mean generally when you've done being in it enough time that's any business not just the film business but you know when you've done enough times and you've seen sort of what the scenarios are and how it plays out I just don't want to set myself up for disappointment and I under, you know, especially when it's new territory like it wouldn't happen now with Netflix now I've got enough experience and I know who they are and they're a big enough company and everything like that but back then it was the first deal I didn't know what to expect and I'd seen a deal go sour a really good deal that I had done before a few years earlier went sour at the 11th hour like it was a done deal and it went sour and I was in a position to you know sue but I but suing is not a good route to take because it's costly and you don't want to ruin a relationship you know? so so I guess I'm a little jaded no I'm a lot jaded but for good reason I'm, I am, have a lot of experience I'm super seasoned and you get jaded when you're seasoned um, but I do still allow myself to celebrate when the time comes but I choose when the time is
0: how many guaranteed ways are there for a filmmaker to get their film to Netflix?
1: guaranteed ways (laughs) that's a kind of a loaded question almost like it's it's like it's like leading a witness Um, there's no guarantees you're talking Netflix I mean the only guarantee is I mean there's two guarantees one is you're making the movie for Netflix because they hired you it's a Netflix original and they hired you to make the movie that's guaranteed because they own the movie and they hired you or two is they pre-buy the movie from you based on an idea or a license, which highly, highly, highly is unlikely. Those are the two guarantees. Otherwise, you know, you do it and you hope for the best. I mean, but both of those first scenarios are generally Netflix original movies where it's not really your movie. You're just making it for them.
0: What are some of the non-guaranteed ways to get on Netflix? Just shot yeah. in the dark?
1: Well the first non-guarantee way is make a movie make it really really good create a lot of awareness for it You know, not necessarily give it away on YouTube for free but do something that gets a lot of maybe social media activity something that you do special or maybe release it or something like that that's probably the best non-guaranteed way because it will put you in a league where you'll be able to get their attention because now two things have happened one is you've made a good movie it's finished so they don't you're not pitching them on an idea you're pitching them on a finished film And two is you've also gotten an audience which they want audience. Their business is not about content. Their business is audience. They're in the business of signing subscribers. Remember that. The way they sign subscribers is to create good content. Now, they're also in the content business now so someday the value of their content library is gonna be worth a ton of money. It probably already is right now. But the major asset is subscribers and they create good content to get subscribers. So if you can show to them that you already have like a ton of interest and maybe some of those people will become subscribers if they put their movie your movie on their service that's a gigantic plus for them you know like if you're dealing with say a niche audience right and they don't maybe have that niche audience or think that they could sign another you know 20, 30, 40, 50,000 subscribers based on that movie they're going to be all over that so, that's the best non guaranteed way to do it. But it's, you know, you're making a movie, it's super risky, and they also might say no, and they may never see the movie. Like, how do you get it to them, right? You got to have an agent or a manager or somebody, or the best way, as I said last time, is to go through a, an existing distributor who already has a relationship with them. But the best way to get that distributor is to have that audience, to have that awareness, to have that notoriety already. It's not just, it's, not this is where the narrative is different. It's not good enough anymore to say, hey, I have a great movie. It's not good enough even to have laurels from you know low end film festivals. I mean, if you have the Audience Choice Award from Toronto or Cannes, yeah, you're good. But who gets that one movie you know a year and probably you know? So chances are you're not going to have that. What's good enough is you've done some marketing and created a lot of awareness, and all of a sudden the distributor slash who's going to talk to Netflix can say. Look how much interest we already have. We're not only are we bringing a movie; we're bringing an audience with it.
0: Seems like a lot of authors are doing that as well. So it's very similar. They don't get signed sometimes by these big publishing houses until they've proven that they have a big social media following. I I could be wrong about that, but
1: but but the good news is for here's the good news for indie filmmakers. If if we're going to take one piece of good news is the because of the digital world you can actually do that now you can actually reach out to the audience yourself now it's a super crowded marketplace because they're inundated with all kinds of stuff but you know 10 20 years ago you could not connect with the world with individuals around the world now you can Um, like I say it's just hard to get through all the clutter but at least the it, it exists the technology exists to do it so if you got a message and you know how to work it and manage it and you know, maybe create this niche area where you could get it out there at least it's available to do it whereas before you had to do generic television advertising or, or, or print advertising or whatever and spend a ton of money and not even know if you're connecting with your audience.
0: Is that something that your students are concerned with? How do they kind of rise above the noise? Because there's so much we're inundated with every day
1: yeah I don't think young people are as concerned about that because they're part of the noise they are the noise right um, I see it as noise because I'm used to other stuff but but they're they are the noise right so they're well way more connected than I am way more up to speed on all the platforms um, you know it's constantly changing obviously I'm, I'm not hip you know, I'll tell you the funniest thing. The 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 one compliment my oldest son paid to me, so sort of the back-ended compliment was, <laughs> "Dad, the only thing cool about you is that you actually know that you're not cool." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I took it as a compliment. Okay, okay. No, that was a total compliment. <laughs> you know what? It took so much pressure off me. Like I didn't want to have to chase around and try to, you know, pretend that I knew all these platforms and that I was on Instagram and doing this and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't want to do TikTok videos I just don't want to do that stuff I, I recognize that it is super important and that there's a gigantic world out there and it's very big for marketing I recognize it totally but at my age and who I am I'm not I'm not going to do that I'm going to hire people or you know, I'm going to circle myself with people who who are good at it who want to do it who enjoy it more than I do so I'm not saying it's not important because it totally is I'm just saying I know who I am, and I don't want to try to be some cool Instagram, you know, person, or I don't I don't want to be a a YouTube influencer. I I guess maybe through these videos, I'm a little bit, but yeah, I think you are. No, no, but what I'm saying is like I don't have to do these silly weekly videos that, you know, are gonna do crazy stuff to make me. I don't even want to do weekly webcasts or podcasts. I it's just I'm not interested. So that's what he meant. At least you know who you are and you're not interested in that. Now, having said that, the young people are super interested in all that kind of stuff, and it's great because the tools. Are, and listen, there's a lot of people who might be in my class, or you know, who are in that generation, who are going to change the world, right? They're going to come up with new technologies, or they're going to work in companies that apply these technologies and and do special things that that are going to you know change the way people think and and new habits and new ways. I mean, look what's gone on in the last year with the whole black lives matter and and the whole I mean these are social movements that change the way people think and the whole world and so that's great you know that these are that's the generation that's going to embrace that and take and take charge and hopefully we'll do you know do good with it that's great that you have so many sort of ears and eyes that
0: are able to tell you different things whether it's students or your sons and and you can kind of see them in action with whatever on whatever platform, yeah. or, you know, because some people don't, and you know, there's so many things that are changing and evolving. Oh, this platform's not, not, no one's using this now. So you know, it's we, funny
1: uh-huh. for my students. So when we were doing the marketing part, and I was talking about social media, I literally said to them at the beginning of that lecture, I said, "What I'm about to tell you is what I know, but I'm pretty darn certain, hopefully that I'm right. That you know way more than I do. So I'm just going to go through the motions and." In your papers I'm going to learn more from you from in this section than you're going to learn from me because I know that you are active on these platforms and I'm not now we talked about buying Facebook ads and stuff like that which is you know I don't do it I hire people to do that so I understand how it all works and how to target and do that kind of thing and they don't didn't know about some of that stuff but they're going to be way better at it than I am and it's way more savvy because that's who they are each deal that you've received on Netflix
0: has it improved each time?
1: three films yes it has okay that might be a combination of a couple things one is I got lucky I mean it could be that I just got lucky that they were paying more each time two is maybe the films are better but I don't think they're necessarily better in terms of the production quality Um, but I think maybe it's because they see that my films are getting an audience and they're maybe worth a bit more so they've been fair really fair because They control that side you know you you can have a little bit of a discussion but for the most part they say here's where you're going to fit in and if you say no they got 50 other films waiting in line to fit in so there's a little bit of room wiggle room but not a heck of a lot but at least if they say you're this is what the film is worth and and they recognize that the value is there because they have an audience and they know it because they had an audience for the previous one so so it's similar audiences. So that's maybe why they've been fair like that.
0: Have you made any pitches to Netflix during the pandemic?
1: Yeah <laughs> yeah of course I have <laughs> I mean you know the pandemic does I mean I can't shoot anything um, but I I did pitch them on the movie I want to shoot and uh, you know they're interested but but I I told them I'm not shooting during the pandemic so maybe that's my bad but I think everybody understands that, right. But it was another scenario where it looks good, sounds good. We like division. We like the style of movies you make and everything like that. But you're going to need to make it and make sure you make it well. It's still, look at, do I have a track record with them? Yeah. Do I have relationships? Yeah. It's still a new adventure every time, though, you know, because they're, I'm a little tiny speck of dust in, in their universe. And I know it. Um, you know, maybe I shouldn't belittle myself that much, but um, so I don't take for granted. I, you know, you got to deliver and it's got to be good and it's got to resonate. And by the way, I still plan on doing all that audience awareness stuff that I talked about, even more so now, now that I'm really aware of it and real niche and lots and lots of marketing before it goes to them if they're going to take it so that I can bring audience to them. I want to be able to say the major pitches to them is like yeah here's the story and it's a good movie and it's going to resonate but the major pitches look at the audience that I think I'm going to be able to bring to you because of all the marketing I've done
0: what constitutes niche in the eyes of a, of a platform like Netflix or Hulu or Disney
1: um, it's it's specific like you know I tend to make family movies and primarily sports dramas. so this one's also a sports drama based on a true person you know true uh, Like a true true life story, Um, so niche would be sort of what the sport is, who this the person is that we're talking about. If there's some sort of like community around that person that would be interesting, Uh, you know, to to use a very very big example. I mean, obviously this is way bigger than what I'm talking about, but so Netflix recently released the Tiger Woods, um, you know, two part series, and it wasn't. It was some filmmaker made it about tiger woods and it was really really well done as a matter of fact, I can't believe how well done it was based on the fact that he didn't he wasn't part of it they like it wasn't you know, an authorized biopic they did it based on footage they got anyways I, I love golf and so so look at the niches there I mean first of all you've got the celebrity of tiger woods in the sports world you've got the whole golf world because pretty well anybody who's a golfer is going to watch that. So there's, you know, you deal with the PGA, the Professional Golf Association and you know, there's lots of associations, you know, like I remember the Southern California Golf Association everybody heard about it through that. So we all got it very niche target marketing to the golf world. Obviously to the overall sports world and then, you know, the general stuff is to the celebrity world because he's a major celebrity, you know, in his own right even though he's an athlete, but you know, he's probably more well known in the world than any actor is or you know, way up there with them. So, but you know, they say that's an extreme example because you're talking like probably the most well known athlete in the world. Um, but the niche is the golf thing, right? And so even if it wasn't Tiger, if it was some unknown golfer you still could have gone into the golf world because generally, like I guarantee, I know a lot more golfers than you know on the PGA Tour. I think so. Um, so if they <laughs> had used somebody who wasn't the notoriety of Tiger, but you know somebody who was I was interested in as a golfer, they could target me, and that alone would be, and you know, and then it's also demographics. You know, generally a lot of people who golf are more so male than female, but you know it goes both ways. But you know, they they there's ways to target that
0: sure and that's a good demographic because that, that's someone that's going to have disposable income to spend on things Generally, So even if you're not putting it on a platform where it's just whatever fifteen dollars a month and that might be a good place to start getting someone to yeah
1: I would imagine I mean look at Netflix has such a big audience that I always assume everybody's got Netflix but they don't but I always assume everybody does but I uh, you know, I would imagine that you know, there's there were a lot of golfers who maybe don't have a Netflix subscription that maybe did sign up for a Netflix subscription just to watch that special, sure. and it was it was really well done. So, yeah, you know, they probably got their money's worth. Now, will they stay subscribers? I don't know. That's up to Netflix to start to profile them and feed them other golf stuff or whatever stuff. You know, Netflix is good at that.
0: Right, well, suggested
1: yeah uh, films. Yeah
0: what's different about the pitching process with Netflix now versus prior years 2015
1: 2014 like I said before it's a bigger company so they generally <laughs> they generally don't take pitches that's a different um, you know, I've done business with Netflix for three films, but I'm not going to call myself a Netflix expert. There are people who do way more business than I do, especially different types of business, like internally. You know, I haven't done any Netflix originals. I've talked to them about it. Um, it's a different department and different style and all that kind of stuff. So I just sort of know what I know as an outsider. And again, I'm not. I guess I'm much further ahead than any indie filmmaker who hasn't done any business with them. But um, like, I feel like I'm not. That qualified to talk about it, but I guess more so than others. But the pitching, you know what makes it different? I mean, it's just uh, back then, I mean, they took pitches. They just don't take them. They don't have the time or the interest unless it's it's done through, you know the right channels, which is agents or, or distributors. So it's you're basically locked out now. How are your pitches different
0: now? knowing that they're a bigger company they have less time they have so many people trying to get into that front door
1: yeah Um, my pitches to everybody not just Netflix anybody who I'm dealing with are are shorter and more concise and right to the point because of lack of time and they hear so much so I get right down to it one it's almost a log line like here's the movie here's what it's about and here's the audience and here's how we're going to go after that audience and here's what I'm going to bring to the table as a result here's the marketing I'm going to do. And it's like I say I try to keep it to five minutes and then the rest is hopefully questions Um, but that's all you really need you can get to I could do it in probably 30 seconds (laughs) but I spread it out just a little bit so I'm not talking too fast but yeah back then I was pitching as I said in the last video you know I would do 20 to 30 minutes for a pitch tell them about the story tell them about this the actors how we're going to shoot and they don't care nobody cares about that stuff just make a darn good movie tell us who the audience is and and you know deliver.
0: So if I was at Netflix you've just just pitched me um, what are my questions going to be to you or am I just sending you out the door? Thank you very much. We'll look it over. No,
1: but remember, I'm not going to get a pitch for something that I'm unless it's a Netflix original. And, and and in that case, I'm sort of just telling them the idea and that's more about the script because they're just basically going to buy the script and maybe hire me to make the film or maybe just take the script and make it internally with one of their crews. So, you know, potentially I could be hired on, you know, maybe to direct or something. Um, and then we would talk, it's all artistic. It's not about audience anymore because they're going to own the film. They'll control that. They'll bring all that to the table. So the other flip side is pitching a finished film. You've already finished the film. So you don't have to talk about the story or this or that. So back then, I would do that. Now I don't talk about any of that because here's the film. Like, just watch the film. I don't have to tell you what. Like, that's why I say it's one sentence about the log line, you know, but, but here's the film. You either want it or you don't want it based on the movie itself so they're hearing the log line
0: they're taking the materials maybe they'll, they're watching it and
1: then they'll watch the movie for sure no mm-hmm. no unlike distributors they'll, they'll definitely watch the movie no I mean they don't watch every movie they'll watch the first 10 minutes and if they like it then they'll, they'll watch the next 10 minutes and hopefully they get through the whole thing right mm-hmm. to make sure that it's okay but the reason that they'd be interested is because there's an audience attached to it because there's like I say if I if I had 10 seconds to pitch Netflix on and that's all you got right maybe I should suggest this to Netflix give every indie filmmaker 10 seconds you know speed pitching right or 20 seconds or something like that I wouldn't even tell them the name of the film all I'd say is I have 2 million viewers on YouTube who've already seen it and want to see it on Netflix that's the pitch now hopefully that's the case and they'd say oh by the way what's the name of the film? You sure you got the two million? Prove to us you got the two million. Let's see it. Did you jig it? Did you do something? Blah, blah, blah. That's the pitch. I mean, you know, the film matters, but the audience matters more.
0: Can we reenact the pitch that you did for your last movie? Sure. To Netflix, how did you? Let's suppose I'm the person on the other side of the desk. Great to see you. Have a seat, you know. Can you get him some water, coffee? Great, thank you. No, okay. that okay. didn't even happen. Oh, okay, <laughs> no, right. no,
1: that happens in the lobby. They validate your That's, parking. That happens in the lobby. <laughs> they, they have a nice station okay. in the lobby. Go okay. get yourself a drink, a coffee, whatever. <laughs> and no, when we get up to the meeting room, let's get right into it. All right. So, the pitch was very simple. It was like, I want to make another. The it, the the Olympics are coming in two years. Um, I believe that we did well with our first movie with Full Out and I would like to make another gymnastics movie similar to that because with the olympics coming we know that women's gymnastics is a big thing in an olympic year and you've already developed that audience with the first movie would you be interested in having another one and I've already got a story and I got an idea of who we would do it with it would be very similar to the first one but a you know, completely different storyline but it would engage the exact same audience and I think that it would be the timing would be good to deliver then during that olympic year similar to what we did with the first one and what was their response I like it we like it what, what tell me more and the more oh. right there in the meeting okay the, the answer was yeah well, I, that's a good idea okay what, what are you thinking I'm, I'm thinking we should do this this storyline I you know again a, a minute um, I've got this gymnast you know um, who who did this da 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 and I think it'd make a really good story and instead of doing hip-hop dancing I want to do break dancing in this one so similar type of thing with two characters that meet Um, but let's go into the break world because it's really cool these days and the music is really good and I think that'll resonate okay great idea when when do you want to shoot it blah 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 I'm going to shoot it then when would you deliver okay we would need it by here by this time and um, then the number then how much would you be willing to pay and then we get into that and that takes a minute or two <laughs> No, but they also by the way they're sitting with an ipad and they're saying oh let's see what did full out one do yeah okay the numbers look pretty good all right let's talk about the next one
0: they would actually give you that number oh right no they right don't there? tell
1: you they, oh, they're looking at their ipad they're not telling you they're saying yeah okay looks okay we're good we're good to go next I say can you share the num- can you turn the iPad around I want to see the numbers no we don't do that you know it'd be really good I, I put some of my heart and soul into it can't you just you know throw me a bone here or tease me <laughs> give me one number sorry we don't do that you know we don't do that and they don't do that that's their proprietary information and that's the way it works Sure. but luckily the numbers were good on that iPad otherwise the conversation would have been really short <laughs>
0: and so this was less than a 10-minute meeting this last
1: one the, the substance was 10 minutes the, mm-hmm. there might have been five minutes of pleasantries okay. how you doing da, 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 you know how's the old, golf game nice office mm-hmm. whatever You know? <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah it took about 10 minutes but there was one other piece of business in that movie because I was wanting to do a renewal on the first one too it was coming up for renewal and so we were talking about both the renewal and the next one
0: I see okay
1: yeah and the numbers were good so both happened the renewal and the, the new one
0: so that works in your favor obviously oh, so you go in there with good numbers and then you pitch them something else it's
1: everything if the numbers aren't good it's over what? it's over before it starts mm-hmm. yeah I mean there's nothing to talk about cool. I mean getting the first one's the tough one because you don't have any numbers the second one if your numbers are good it's a real easy meeting and if your numbers are bad it's a very tough meeting you got to explain why your numbers are going to be better the next time around if they're even interested to hear it but the subject matter is super niche I know that audience really well I've done tons of marketing to it I they know I'm connected to it they know that I know how to get to that audience and, and create viewership there so because I've already done the marketing and now even more so we're gonna like you know, and I explain what we're gonna do in addition to this with the dance world that we didn't do last time so that's music to their ears and hopefully it works and hopefully they get new subscribers as a result of it I mean I want them to be successful because if they're successful then hopefully they Greenlight something else I'm going to do and that's just supporting their efforts
0: how are you sharing your ideas for marketing the
1: film that you're pitching so with Netflix or with everybody I mean let's say for this
0: for this case yeah Netflix oh
1: I'm telling them straight up I'm saying okay we're going to start with the gymnastics the USA gymnastics um, which is their network of all the gyms across the United States and the coaches so we're going to we're going to get an endorsement from them I had a special olympian in there so we're going to you know special olympics we're getting their endorsement meaning they'll put the message out to all of their athletes and families of which they have many Um, we I'm dealing with um, the dance magazine and dance world so there's all kinds of um, dance tons of dance clubs um, and studios and so I'm advertising through them I'm doing both paid advertising and social media And then we're doing some a whole bunch of 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 web-based stuff with one of our key dancers so the main break dancer in the movie is a world-renowned break dancer and so she did interactive stuff that we had all planned pre-planned as part of the promotion Um, and so they don't know anything about the breaking world I didn't know much about it either I learned about it obviously but um, so as i explained it to them and they looked up you know who this is and what these communities are and how to get to them and everything like that and you know that's probably a good audience for them and they probably have a lot of that audience already but you know it's interesting for for them to hear about it so these are things that you know you're explaining not in a ton of detail just enough to you know tweak their interest and make them see that you're going to do some hard work and really engage try to engage an audience and that's for everybody's benefit it's primarily for the benefit of my movie cuz i want audience on it by the way this is before they say yes right so I'm doing this anyways regardless of whether they say yes I'm doing because I want to be successful with my movie so if they don't say yes you know maybe I take it to apple tv and pitch them the same thing or to you know to hulu or something like that which by the way I did so I mean you know because you're waiting six weeks you're not sitting there with your thumb up your butt waiting for an answer you're pitching everybody because you you know you hope that somebody comes through and you hope it's the one you want but it's kind of like applying for for lack of a better example college you don't apply to one you apply to one that's a disaster unless you're pretty darn sure you're gonna get in you apply to 10 or you know and, and you hope that you know you're just hedging your bets a little bit so the long line
0: is equally important as how you'll market to your audience and who your market who, who your audience is it sounds like neither is more important than the other you've got to have both
1: when the you log line is just for pitching you know I mean everybody on their platform doesn't put just a log line they put a synopsis you know, you go into Netflix and you see a three or four sentence synopsis on every film um, so the log line is just when you're pitching it's the ele- it's what they people call the elevator pitch thing you, know, you got three floors in an elevator and you better get it out quickly so you just get a log line in there that sort of captures what the movie's about and then as soon as you capture their attention then they might ask you more details and you can go into a little bit more detail but I find by the way I find that filmmakers the big mistake they make in pitching and they do this all the time when I'm consulting with them is they talk way too much about the story I mean we all know story elements we get it we know genres I mean I know pretty well all of them so just like tell me the details because I say to them this is the irony so they're paying me for their time you know they might book an hour right and they're paying for that and they start going into the story and I say no 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 let me stop you for a second I don't want you wasting your time your paid time telling me your story I get it I get the audience I get who you're talking about I don't need the details of the story I'm sure it's great I'm sure it's unique let's get into the substantive the substantive stuff which is the marketing and the distribution and all that kind of stuff because don't take 20 minutes to tell me your story because they would otherwise because they're so engaged in their story and it's not about the story I mean it's obviously at the end of the day when you make the movie it's about the story but it's not about the story at that at that stage that's why
0: I was wondering is how important it sounds like the, then the synopsis or log line whatever it is you're going off to pitch them is equally important as who's your demographic who, how are you getting to them
1: well think about it like you're sitting there you're Netflix buyer right I'm saying to you I'm going after the dance world and the g- gymnastics world okay as long as I have a decent story where there's characters and character arcs and development and everything like that I mean the question they need to ask is how many dance routines am I going to have how many gymnastics routines am I gonna have? Oh yeah, what's the main character and what's their relationship? But you know, how many big production scenes are gonna like the kids wanna see the gymnastics and the dance? That's what they really wanna see. Oh, yeah. And as long as it's not a disaster, you know, the rest of it, you know, it's gotta have a story that weaves through and a compelling storyline and like I say, character acts and everything like that. But but if you have all that. And you don't have good production, like you don't have any dance sequences or or, or gymnastics competitions or something like that. It's not going to be a good movie for that audience. Cool. So that's really what, if you understand who your audience is, and I understand my audience because you know I make movies for them, then I'm saying to Netflix, this is what my audience wants to see, and they understand that because they have shared audience and they understand what audiences like to see fame now, tv show fame yeah for sure all,
0: all of the dance
1: routines well, interwoven they with had the they had troubles. cheer they had cheer on there that cheer was a series that they did about cheerleading so they understand that market really well um, but now that's in the department that acquires that's the licensing side. so that's who I'm pitching to is they're going to acquire the movie right if you're pitching to Netflix originals where you're talking story this pitch might be totally different it might be way more about story character arc plot points all this kind of stuff I mean they're, they're going to get more into the artistic side of it because they're going to be making the movie with you so they want to see some of the artistic vision but this is you're making a movie and you're going to tell them why it's marketable and you're hopefully going to make a good movie that they're going to buy they're not involved at all artistically so it's a sort of a different style altogether it, not sort of it is it is you're not talking creatives with them you're talking about audience that you're going to resonate with when you deliver this finished film The film's done they have no say in it because it's you can't change it it's over whereas in the other side the netflix original it's nothing's happened yet they can change everything
0: and you would have a broader audience for this because I'm thinking of like the tv show dance moms I believe I've never actually watched it just seen trailers Mm -hmm. but you have not only the the kids in the in the thing that are the dancing the dancers sorry but um, You also have the the mom so you have a much wider you have parents and you have their kids oh
1: yeah and I just told you two components I went you know break dancing and gymnastics of course there's there's lots of ancillary stuff and everything yeah no I have a whole marketing plan I just didn't want to spend too much time on this interview talking about it but we could go into a lot more detail um, you know about like all the components of what we did I mean I did a whole bunch of promotions too like for example I'll just give you one um, you know, we shot that particular movie. We shot in Oklahoma City um, at the University of Oklahoma with the Oklahoma Sooners. It's about one of their gymnasts, and it shot on location there. So I did a huge promotion in Oklahoma City with Pizza Hut. You know, and I created a lot of awareness by doing a pizza top box topper that goes out to you know, I don't know, fifty thousand pizzas they sell in whatever period it was. Um, so that the local audience, because you know the girl's wearing a Oklahoma Sooners outfit, that's the key art. So everybody in Oklahoma City knows who the Sooners are. You might not know, but everybody there does from seeing your movie. Yeah. Okay, budget. so so to, <laughs> so that's local uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. We also did lots of television, you know, um, publicity spots there. We got a lot of ads, not ads, but we got a lot of um, spots on local editorial. Publi- they were all interested that a movie was being shot on location about a true story about one of their gymnasts. So we got lots and lots of that, which I used in that market more so. I'm not going to use that nationally because it doesn't resonate, but locally it resonates really well. Mm-hmm. So you know, but the Netflix of the world understand all that stuff because their business is engaging audiences. So they get some, of that. you know, like some Kansas City reporter doing a story of you know Brenna Dowell, which is what happened, is great. In Kansas City, and that's good, you know. And what does that mean to Netflix? It's one tiny component of their entire base, but it's better than nothing. And maybe they can, you know, sign up 10, you know, a thousand more subscribers there in that marketplace based on that. Maybe this is micromanaging, running a business, so you know, and building your audience.
0: No, those are great details, and I love that. And I love that you would think of. Pizza Hut maybe that's something that but families are going to be ordering pizza and who's going to want to see oh, that yeah. Families. Oh yeah. Oh hold, hold yeah. on.
1: The, the pizza Hut thing first of all there's I should have brought it there's a whole um, flyer that we printed with a with a um, you know a discount on watching the movie you get it So the reason Pizza Hut was in was so the the win-win was they stuck this flyer it was like a postcard size thing of the graphic and I'm saying new movie available you know on the following platforms and it's like you know six transactional platforms. Um, And then the flip side is special promotion from Pizza Hut 50% off in this market with this pizza and here's the code and you stick it in and you get it for for 30 days, you can watch the movie for half price with the purchase of this pizza. So it's a win-win, but hold on, that was just one, I mean, that's one promotion. (laughs) I do tons of those and, and Pizza Hut was just one of the, like there's 10 pizza chains. So I pitched like five of them, not just Pizza Hut, I wanted Pizza Hut but if Pizza Hut said no you know maybe it was Domino's you know I mean I'm you're pitching everybody but like I say I spend way more time marketing than I do on making movies way more time that's the kind of stuff you're talking about and to kind of go back to what I was talking about before filmmakers first of all don't even know about this kind of stuff secondly what filmmaker wants to do that film like talking to 10 pizza joints to figure out a local pizza promotion you don't want to do that you want to make movies studios have all this built-in they just take for granted all that kind of stuff independent filmmakers don't even know about this stuff this is stuff that's totally foreign that they would never get around to they don't have enough time to get around to it let alone to do it even if they knew about it like I'm telling you like to me this is like a no-brainer I'm talking about it as like that's nothing compared to, I can tell you some way more niche stuff than that like that is a pretty big promotion I mean there's stuff that's even smaller um, and you're saying wow that's interesting and I'm thinking That's not that interesting. I mean, that's kind of what you do.
0: How are you getting a mom and daughter in Chicago to care about a gymnast from Oklahoma?
1: Because hopefully the daughter's taking gymnastics or dance. And hopefully she's connected to a gymnastics or a dance club where her coach says, hey, this new movie came out. It's really nice family fare. I think you and your family would enjoy it and potentially a little bit of social media where we're targeting maybe Facebook ads that target to that you know depends on how old the daughter is. maybe she's 12 that's our core audience for that kind of movie and you know maybe they Facebook has all these analytics and everything so you know that's part of it um, but yeah we're we're reaching out a different the, the more direct stuff is through the clubs and we send we send the clubs every club got sent a postcard kind of similar to what I was talking about every club, To the coach, Um, when we did the first one, if it wasn't the pandemic because the clubs were closed, in the first one we sent a poster to every club and asked them to hang the poster, you know, a sign poster. It was a nice, really nice poster, so that was a nice sort of thing to put in their lobby, you know. um, So, and that creates awareness. And then, of course, we have a website which they go to and get details and that type of thing. I mean, that's generic marketing. I mean, it's specific to that audience, but this is what I'm talking about. Like, there's so much involved in marketing. I mean. When you do marketing for a living that's not that special what I just said and it's special but not that special but when you do filmmaking all of a sudden marketing is like holy smokes I didn't even know about this stuff like this is this is really good like I, I didn't even know you could do that kind of stuff yeah there's
0: a creativity in what you're telling me is and
1: because there's different things you can plug in here and it's a challenge
0: it doesn't sound well, that easy there's
1: creativity in knowing what to do and then there's execution and actually doing it which is a lot of work that stuff doesn't come overnight you got to work it and you got to negotiate it and contract it and deliver and print and do all this kind of stuff but you know when it works it it, you can get really good results
0: how has the pandemic changed the film business
1: great question very timely Um, the major change is obviously the theatrical business you know theaters closing so that's had a huge impact on how movies are viewed now Especially, you know, the big blockbuster tentpole releases. Uh, so that's a big one. But that also caused a huge change in in the whole VOD world, like the streaming world. Um, so all these studios that were probably thinking about, you know, becoming uh, subscription video on demand services had it in the works, likely accelerated their plans. And now all of a sudden, you've got you know eight or ten major streaming services. When before you had Netflix really was it, and then you know, an Amazon Prime, and then of course Disney Plus was starting up. But Disney Plus really jumped in quickly, and then everybody followed. So I think that the studios realized they needed another you know avenue to to exhibit their movies because they couldn't depend on the theaters, obviously, and um, you know that accelerated that so much. And I'm not sure if it's good or bad. I think for indie films, it's actually not good, which I'll talk about later. Um, but probably for overall viewership for, for consumers now, there's such a vast choice of quality programming that's available at really affordable prices. So I guess that's good. Now, me personally, I love going to the movies. Like I like a night out at the movie theater. I love watching, you know, a big movie on uh, in a big format on a huge screen with a great sound system, you know, in a very confined, you know, like dark room like that. So. I, for one, will be back at the movies the minute they start up. I mean, because I it's a night out for my wife and I. I love watching a movie that way. Um, hopefully, a lot of people are thinking like me and can't wait to get back to the movies. But, you know, a lot of people went out and bought really big, you know, flat screen TVs and good sound systems. And, uh, you know, and I I did too. And <laughs> I enjoy that. It's been a great way to watch, you know, content in the comfort of your own home. Uh, but, I believe that the theatrical business will be back and it will be healthy and robust and just because human beings need to go out and need to socialize and, and that's a night out.
0: Do you think things will be totally the same as they were let's say 2019 right, right toward December of 2019 the, once things start to open up? I know we're on the eve of it as of this interview but do you think things will be returned to that exact level? Or there will be changes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all driven, obviously, by the the major studios because um, they have the big programming that people want to see. So I don't know. Just because there's going to be a decision made corporately in in each of their boardrooms, and they're going to say, "Hey, let's do the math on this. If we open, you know, theatrically for six to eight weeks pre VOD." What will the numbers look like if we go day and date what will the numbers look like I mean it's all about numbers right I mean they're in business to make money and they got to decide what is the best way to you know to cater to their audience so that they can make the revenue they want to make so I, I really don't know um, I know the theaters I don't know for sure but what I've read is the theaters obviously are going to want an exclusive window you know pre the VOD release but you um, Maybe the studios have learned something new that may carry on. And frankly, I mean as a consumer, that's not gonna matter to me. I don't really care whether there's a day and date VOD release with a theatrical release. I'll still go to the movie theater to see the movie because I want to see it that way. And I will pay my $15 and buy my popcorn and everything because I want to go out. I mean I wanna I wanna watch those big movies that way. So even if they're offered at the same time, you know, on VOD, I'm still not gonna I'd rather consume it that way. Now if they're not and that's a way to get subscribers by offering them day and date that's a corporate decision and you know I'll understand but I don't know movie theaters so if I did I wouldn't understand.
0: How has the pandemic changed your company and you as a filmmaker?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Well my company did not make a movie in 2020. We were supposed to. I have a great other new sports drama that I was hoping to shoot and um, I've already kind of almost set up pre-distribution for it so I was really excited about it and um, but the pandemic slowed that down because the protocols for shooting were very very restrictive and plus personally I don't really want to do that I mean I don't I didn't want to put my own health at risk I didn't want to put the crew or the cast or anybody at risk so I didn't feel it was worth it to to have to shoot during the pandemic and it's still in you know it's still sort of waiting um, I'm hoping maybe we could shoot this fall but uh, we have to see how that all plays out but um, I'm respectful of the fact that hey it's a pandemic crazy thing crazy year crazy almost year and a half now um, by the time this is over um, but it happens and you know, we'll get through it and we'll see what it looks like on the other end um, so I'm anxious to, to shoot again, but I didn't want to shoot during the pandemic which meant I had like you know, a year more a little more than a year to do other stuff so that actually was interesting and you know, at first I was kind of disappointed but then I said let's make you know, lemons into lemonade here so I did two things one is I stepped up my consulting practice quite a bit so I do a lot more consulting with indie filmmakers and um, you know, I'm enjoying that because everybody is kind of struggling and going through the same thing and it's nice to chat with people and give them advice and I think I've connected with a lot of filmmakers and I feel like they've learned a lot and I've hopefully helped them through stuff and I'm sure some of them will be watching this interview and hopefully make nice comments <laughs> but also I started teaching too. Um, so I live in San Diego. I teach at San Diego State University, and I teach in the film production department. But I teach the business aspects of indie filmmaking. So it's primarily distribution and finance, which are the boring parts of the film business. You know, the students want to learn about camera and lighting, acting, directing, editing, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, filmmaking, right? Production. Um, so they have to take my course to graduate if you're if you're a film major, and uh, they learn about finance and distribution primarily a little bit about budgeting and and scheduling Um, and so it's been interesting because at first the students are you know a little leery of it you know because they they don't realize what that entails but uh, I've really gotten great feedback on that from all the students who are taking my course and they're primarily upper level students um, because they didn't really understand distribution at all I mean they've heard the word but they had no clue what it is um, I talk a lot about marketing and you know how to kind of make sure that you've got your plans in place before you start shooting so that maybe you'll do things differently during your shoot if you need to um, and you know the whole financing piece everybody's really curious about how that is all gets put together there's legal terms technical terms lots of business terms which yeah people who are artists and filmmakers don't really love that but totally appreciate it once they understand how it all fits together to become you know the film business. And so in my course I call it the business of film. Um, the students call it the film business. I always say you should put the business part first, not the film part but you know they're both equal. I mean you need to have the art obviously the artistic side but they're taking you know a dozen courses on that side and one course in business and you know maybe that will expand into more. I believe in order to be a successful filmmaker as I've said many times in in your interviews and to other people um, it's really helpful to know what really goes on on the business side primarily the distribution side Um, you don't have to do it all and I I tell people you don't have to become an expert in it but it's good to understand it to at least be aware what goes on what other people do so that you you know you can be part of the conversation and the narrative and 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 just be a little bit more up to speed so that when you do cross those bridges at least you know what the bridge is
0: And what do you start out with once you get through all of sort of the the housekeeping of the of the course and and the timeline and what materials they
1: need what do you start with so it's interesting Um, so I teach in my course which is the business aspects of filmmaking I teach three units I teach distribution production and finance and I actually teach them in that order so inevitably the first question I get asked is why are you teaching distribution before you teach production like shouldn't you be teaching you know, all of the legals and business aspects of making a movie which is production before you teach selling a movie or how about you shouldn't you teach financing a movie before you teach selling or making a movie but I chose those that that order on purpose because I said in order to be a successful filmmaker because I you know I teach about sort of commercially viable filmmaking um, obviously you have to be a good artist and you have to make a good film you can't sell a bad film so I take for granted I say I assume you're going to make a good film that's what the other teachers are teaching you how to make a great film so I'll check that box but before you make that great film you really need to understand you know, three major things who your audience is who you're making it for you know, how you're going to create awareness with that audience and will your audience pay to consume it if you want to make money with your movies and that's all distribution so it's really important to understand those components before you make your film because one is you might make a different film two is you might not make the film you're making I mean if you really want to look at the business component so that like at the end you don't struggle and say oh if I only would have known or if I had a thought of that first that's why I teach distribution first Because distribution really is enlightening to understand sort of the film that you're crafting so that you make the right film so you could sell it afterwards and and even while you're making it you have to understand distribution so that maybe you have you're making components that help you market the film or maybe even doing social media from set or that type of thing you're marketing 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 preparing to sell your film before you make it
0: have you been surprised by any of the questions or actually just pleasantly sort of enlightened by how advanced some of these individuals are when it comes to distribution
1: yeah well no I mean all I'm gonna say 99 you're gonna say probably 100 of students who go to film school go to learn production I mean that's what film school is teaching you how to make a movie um, I think our school San Diego State University um, you know recognize that it's really important to teach distribution of finance because those are such important components of being a successful career filmmaker um, but for the most part students don't expect to learn about those kind of things because those are sort of the business things and film schools about the artistic things so at first I'm not surprised they're surprised the students are surprised When they take the course they have to take my course to graduate if you're a film major so it's a prereq you know there's two prerequisites and you know it's a mandatory course so you know I'm the course they don't want to take because it's all the boring stuff it's legal business stuff that type of thing but once they do take it and they start understanding about you know how distribution works and what the different platforms are and how they buy and sell and and how movies you know get financed and this kind of thing they're totally intrigued by it um they're probably a little overwhelmed by it as well because there's so much that they haven't really thought about Um, you know financing a movie is in my estimation far more complicated than making the movie or editing it Um, it, like I say everything's important I'm not belittling any everything anything but um, to understand you know how the whole system works from start to finish as a business is fascinating for them and and they're learning a lot they're learning things that they had no idea they were going to learn about so I'm really happy with how much they're being exposed to and learning but there are also there's lots and lots of questions because once you learn a little bit you want to kind of learn more and there's just not enough time to answer it all as a matter of fact I've had to cut my materials in half twice because there's just so much to teach and and I take for granted because I know it all. You know that they can I can go quicker, but but I have to go a little slower because you know, I just throw around terms. You know, like like VOD, AVOD, TVOD, SVOD. Like you know, no big deal, right? Like that's if you're in the movie business, you know about that. You don't know about that. If you're a film student, you don't know what those platforms are. You've heard of Netflix, you know. You've heard of Disney Plus. You've heard of some of these things, but. You don't necessarily know what all these things are. So, I have to really take time to explain all that kind of stuff. And it's important because now they have a very good handle on potentially where the movies they're going to make are going to go. And of course, it's going to change, you know, probably changes all the time, but for now.